All right, good morning, everyone. I should say you all. Good morning, y'all. Uh, I'm from Michigan. Anyone from Michigan? Michigan? Oh, yeah, representing. All right. Uh, we don't say y'all in Michigan, right? So I've got to, like, change my language down here in Texas. I to say, not you all, it's y'all, right? Not you all, y'all. And so I was in California over the weekend, and I said, I said, hey, y'all, and they're like, no, 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 no. It's you guys in California. I'm like, oh, I'm all confused now. Like, I didn't realize that. So, all right, I'm learning. Um, Hey, good morning. My name is Todd Watkins. Uh, My wife and I and kids are members here of The Well, and I know a number of you all, but not everyone. Um, And we're, we're in the middle of a series talking about relationships, doing a relationship series. And the topic that I'm talking about today is compassion towards the stranger. And uh, I'm going to be focusing on compassion towards the stranger. I think compassion relates in general all around, but we focus a little bit on the stranger. And when I, when I read that word, I read the, the list of words on the topic of relationship, the relationship series, and I read, oh, I got compassion. And I said, oh, man, I, I felt like, I don't know, my kids say I'm a compassionate person. And I, I kind of wrestled with that a little bit. Like, I'm teaching on compassion. I feel like I, I have a long way to go in this area of growing in compassion for others. And, uh, and then I thought a little bit about like, my life, and I said, you know, look from where I was and how much God has done in my life. So we actually, God has done a lot, and I have a long way to go. And I want to share a little bit with you all on just kind of some things God's done in my life, kind of how God has changed my perspective on having compassion toward the stranger. And then just share three simple principles with you on uh, things that hopefully you can kind of apply in your, in your life as well as we're thinking through this. Um, so let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in here. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your care and your compassion towards us. As Paul said, we were like strangers um, in some ways to you. We, are not, we don't live in heaven. We live on earth, and you have your own place that you reside, and yet you care for us, and, and you have compassion on us, and you love us. And, and your heart is, uh, is for us to have that also. I pray in this time, God, that you would be blessed by it and um, you just help us hear your, your words and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us whatever you want to say uh, to the heart of your people. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so real briefly, uh, I would say that I am not predisposed to be a compassionate person. Uh, it's kind of nice that I have the men here today. A lot of the women, you know, we get to speak to the men on compassion here. So... I'm not predisposed. Actually, a number of things I think it's kind of growing up in my, in my world just uh, caused me to have a very calloused heart. And uh, in my late teens, early 20s, I feel like I just had a really, really calloused heart. A cold heart, a guarded heart. I did not really have much care for those who are different than, from, different than me. Uh, I did not have much care for the human race in general. Uh, I actually studied natural resource management as kind of a branch of forestry. My plan was, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a degree. I'm going to go up to the mountains. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a forest ranger. I'm going to get as far away as I can from people and, uh, and just live there and enjoy the beauty of the natural world. Uh, I didn't think I even wanted to have kids at that time. I was like, man, I don't even want to think I want to bring kids in this just jacked up, messed up world. Um, I just was really, you know, just... I felt like just really closed off. And a lot of ways, you could go in a lot more detail about um, just kind of the hardest of my heart during that time. But 
I can remember, um, just to give a little bit of a picture of it, I can remember a few years ago, I was in the Netherlands in Amsterdam. My wife and I lived there for a little while as missionaries. And I was in the train station, and there was a guy that was walking. There was a lot of people in the train station. There was a guy that was walking through. And in Dutch, he was yelling out, cockroaches, cockroaches, you're all cockroaches. And, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of funny. You chuckled, you chuckled a little bit. But then I was kind of like, you know, I kind of could relate to that guy. <laughs> you know, he's just, all these people, you know, you're just like, yeah, you just, I, there was a point in my time, I was like, man, just, we're just these people, people are just like these cockroaches on this earth. You know, this, this beautiful natural world we have, and there's this human race on this world that just, it seems to just destroy it, just to utterly destroys the beauty of our world. And that infuriated me, really. Um, and not only that, but we just destroy each other oftentimes, too. And we can't even get along with, with one another. And I, I laughed at that guy, but I could relate to that guy too. Man, I just, people are like this, this plague on the earth, and I don't want anything to do with them. So in that period of time, I came to know Jesus Christ and uh, accepted him into my life. And God came into my life, began to change me, began to change my heart. I came across this verse a long time ago in Ezekiel. I think it should be up on the screen. You guys also can pull up Bibles. I think there are Bibles on the on the ground you can use, or you can read them here, or you can use your smartphones as well. In Ezekiel 36, it says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And I read that a long time ago, and I was like, man. And my heart was, you know, I, I was coming to know the Lord, and God was starting to change me. But man, my heart was still really, really hard in a number of ways. And, uh, but I knew something was changing. God was starting to change me. Something was happening in me. It's because God's spirit was in me, and there was a promise here. God is giving me a new heart. He's, taking, he's going to take away this heart of stone, and he's going to give me a heart of flesh. And I wanted a heart of flesh. And over time, God began to do that in my life. He began to grow my heart, kind of like the Grinch in a way, right? Three sizes in one day. And, you know, today, if you come to my house, you, you, you sit at our table and we, where we eat, and on the wall next to us is a, is a map of the world. And uh, we pray for our world. And we pray for lots of people that we don't know. We pray for the Muslim world. We have a map and it lists, you know, kind of the, the condition of the world, who, who, how many believers there are in the world. We pray all over the world. Our family will pray for the world. How is it that a guy that just wanted to be far away from everybody to, to now he's sitting there praying for the world, right? Uh, this last weekend I went to Pasadena and got to go to a church to help train them, a church that I didn't even know, and, and to go out into Pasadena to share the gospel with people we didn't even, I didn't even know, um, just for the sake of others to know God's love. How is it that a person can go from that place where I was to where I am today? Um, well, it's the power of God in, in a person's life. God changes our hearts, and that impacts our relationships with others around us. But there were a couple key things that changed, key perspective shifts I had along the way, and I want to share those with you. First one, it sounds real simple. We're in church, but it's simply that coming to a real understanding that God loves all people. Just really understanding, letting that sink into my life and my heart. God loves every single person. The people that I don't like, he loves. 
The people that annoy me, he loves. The people that are different than me, he loves. People from different races and cultures, he loves. My family, he loves. My enemies, he loves. The country's enemies, he loves. The politicians I don't like, he loves. God loves every single person, and it's overwhelming, that reality. Understanding that the Scripture says that while we were enemies to Christ, while we were still enemies in our sin, Jesus Christ died for us and reconciled us to himself. That's hard to understand the magnitude of God's love. But that reality began to change me. God loves people, really. He loves me, and he loves these people around me. And I began to see people a little bit different because of that. Uh, And I began to realize that if I'm to love God, then part of loving God means loving what God loves. And that includes his people. I came across a scripture in 1 John 4, uh, verse 20 and 21. It says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's a strong verse. Wow, you know, whoever, he says, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, this is really probably talking about Christian family. And um, there's a lot of people in this room that are probably strangers to you as well. But he's saying if you don't love the people closest to you, that your brothers in Christ, your family in Christ, and you say you love God but you don't love them, you're a liar. You don't really love God. To love God is to love one another. That is the essence. That is the flow of our love for God. It flows through loving each other. But not just for the, the immediate church, but for the world around us because God loves the whole world. And God begins to expand. When we grow closer to him and grow in our relationship with him, God, the He begins to change our heart and expand it for the world around us. And I began to just think and ponder on that and realize, you know, God had given me so much grace that he wants me to extend that to other people. I spent a lot of tears. I've spent a lot of of tears. I've spent a lot of tears over the years before the Lord just crying out to him to change my heart too. Uh, I don't know if you guys struggle with a hard heart, but I, I can get a hard heart sometimes. I mean, there was times early in my marriage where I, we would get in conflict and my wife would be just crying because I just, she was hurt. And I would sit there in my bed and I just, I didn't care. My heart was so hard, I, I just, I had no compassion, no feeling of care for, the, for what she was experiencing. I was just, man, I was callous and hard. And a lot of tears before the Lord, crying out, Lord, change my heart. You know, if you want to be a person that grows in God, you've got to become accustomed to grieving and pouring your heart and your tears and your brokenness and your sin and your wretchedness, wretchedness out before the Lord. You know, God, change me. God, I have a wicked heart. I mean, sometimes I just have a wicked heart. I need God to touch me. I need God to change me. I spent a lot of time crying out, God, give me the love that you have for these people. I know you love these people. I know you love this world. I don't always love it. But he began to change me. He began to show me that he loves people. That was one perspective that began to change. The second perspective was to realize that people have great worth and value. People are valuable, right? They are made in God's image. 
and realizing, wow, people are made in God's image. Every human being has great worth. No matter who they are, they're worthy of dignity, they're worthy of respect, they're worthy of honor, no matter what they've done, because they're made in the image of God. Not only that, because Jesus Christ died for them. He paid the greatest price for them because he said they are valuable just as much as he paid for me and everybody else. He paid a great cost to redeem, to purchase each human being out of debt, and Jesus says they're important. They have great value. They're not cockroaches, right? They're not, and we, we, we live, there, there's, it's easy to slip into a philosophy, and I lived in that philosophy for a long time, that, that kind of elevates the natural world, and we, we put uh, the human race kind of equal to the natural world, actually, actually a little bit, natural world, a little bit above humanity, like, humans are kind of not that great. We kind of are a plague. You ever seen the Matrix, right? We're, we're kind of a, a plague on the earth, a disease, a cancer, right? That's a philosophy where, where the natural world is a little bit more important than humanity, at least equally, if not more important. But when you look at the scriptures, you see that actually we are equal as, in, as creatures. God created us as creatures. But God puts a little extra value on the human race. We're made in his image. We have a uniqueness unlike anything else in all of creation. And Jesus didn't die for the trees. He didn't die for the animals. He died for us. He died for us. And it's super important to, to care for the environment, save the whales, but we need to save the people too. And his heart is for the human race to be transformed, to know the love of God, and to be restored into the image of God in which we were created for. And everyone is at great value in his eyes. And so God began to show me, wow, people have great worth and value. Every person you talk to is very, very important to God. Very important. Even though you don't like that person, they may annoy you. They're super important to God. And in that, beginning to realize that people are eternal also. They have great value because they're eternal beings. We will live forever. You guys, we will all live forever in some type of wild glory or some type of really messed up horror for all of eternity. And people have a great importance because of that. There's a, there's a uh, verse or a, a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, which is a wonderful book. He said, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a whore and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Wow, right? Man, that kind of can shake you out of some negative thinking there. There's no mere mortal. You never met just a mere mortal. People are eternal. They'll live forever, and they have importance, and their eternal destiny has importance. And so those, those kind of principles, those things begin to change over time. It changed my perspective, how I interact with people, how I view people, and how I view the stranger, people who are different from me. And I want to share with you guys three practicals out of that that impacted my life. There's probably a lot more, but I just thought three that I could share with you. I'm sorry I don't have them in like a all, they don't sound all, they don't start with Bs or they're not an ABC a, thing. I tried to do that. I really tried because Tori did that last week and I was like, can I, can I work this out? But I couldn't get it. So, but the, the first one is because people are important, be present 
with them in the moment. Be present with people, even though they may be strangers. Be present. You know, we can be busy. We can be full of lots of activities and different things on our mind. We can miss people. We can look right past people. We can get caught up in our very, uh, our, our to-do list, our tasks, and forget that people are important. This relates not just to strangers, but to everybody. You know, my kids can interrupt me in the middle of me doing something, and I can be annoyed, and I have to stop and remember, no, this person is important. Can I be present in that moment with them to minister, to care for, to give attention? Because when you give attention to somebody, it shows love to them. It shows respect to them. It shows honor to them. When you stop for them, to give them a moment of your time, to listen to them, to be present in that moment, you value that person. And you never know who God may bring across your path to touch and to help and to love and to minister to. And our example in all this, of course, is Jesus, right? He's our, he's our pattern in this. Jesus was amazing in how he was present with people in his ministry. And when we look at Jesus, we see an example, a pattern to follow. Uh, I think as Christians, or just in general, we, uh, as, as individuals, as people, we are really prone to follow patterns. Uh, Bob talked about that last week a little bit. Uh, the, the family we grew up in, it, it, it patterned us, right, with a certain behavior, a certain way to live. And the culture patterns us into a way that we, it, it wants to shape us into a way to act and to live and to look. I mean, whoever thought about the idea of skinny jeans on men, right? Come on. Come on. Seriously. Right? I'm trying to hide my imperfections, you know, not, not show them. But anyway, someone thought that was a cool idea, Right? And they began to wear that. That's cool. And that became a pattern where everyone kind of follows that pattern. And uh, so it's all over the place. But, but as believers, we're, we're, we're shifting, we're moving from, okay, the patterns of this world and the patterns that we grew up in our family. And we're learning, what is the, what's it mean to follow the pattern of Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's our Lord. He's our leader. He's our pattern. And so why do we study the scripture? We're learning who he is, his pattern, his life. And we see Jesus, the pattern of Jesus' ministry was being present with people, part of his pattern. There's a beautiful story in, in Mark chapter 5. I'll just tell you the story. It's one of my favorite stories. In Mark 5, Jesus is approached by a man. He, he was a very important man. He was a synagogue ruler. His name was Jairus. And most of the synagogue rulers came to Jesus criticizing him. But this time, this guy came to Jesus because he needed help. His daughter, who was 12 years old, was sick and dying. And he came to Jesus in desperation. And he said, Jesus, he fell at his feet. He said, could you help me help my daughter, please? And Jesus, in that moment, connected with that man, and he was present. And he said, sure. He was a stranger to Jesus, as far as we know, at that time. And he began to go with Jesus to this man's house. But on the way, there was a woman who was not important, who was not known, who was not named in the story. She hears about Jesus, and she takes a great risk to go out and touch him. She thinks, if I could just touch Jesus, if I could just touch him, maybe he'll heal me. But she was considered unclean because she had a disease for 12 years, which was bleeding vaginally. And she thought, if I could just reach out and, and, and risk coming into an environment where I shouldn't be because she was considered unclean and she shouldn't be around other people who were clean, especially not touch a holy man. But she did it. And she reached out and that crowd grabbed him and immediately it says power went out from him and she was healed. 
and she shrinks back from that crowd, and Jesus stops, and he says, who just touched me? And his disciples are like, what are you talking about? You know, there's all these people around you. There's this very important thing going on. We're, we're all going to see, you know, you know, what's happening with Jairus. And he says, wait, 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 wait. No, no, someone just touched me because power went out from me. And that woman knows she's caught. And so she's afraid, and she comes before him kind of trembling, and she confesses what she did. He could have judged her, but he didn't. He looks at her, and he says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus took time for that woman. Right? He was on a very important task to go to a very important person's house, to care for a very important person's daughter. And yet in the middle of all that, actually Jesus is the most important person. And Jesus says to a no-name woman, hey, you know what? I'm going to the daughter of an important person, but you are my daughter. You are my daughter. He says, daughter, faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus was in the moment. He ministered not just to her physical needs, but he ministered deep to the heart of that woman, restoring her identity, her dignity, her value. You are my daughter. I'm the king, and you are important to me. Jesus didn't know that woman from anybody, but she had value, and he shows us that pattern. Wow, all the people that we run in day to day, they are important. Our busy task can sometimes wait for the sake of that person. They may be a stranger or may even be an acquaintance. And Jesus shows this a number of different ways when we go through the scripture. Another sh- uh, a, a quick one is in Matthew 14. This one also has a profound impact on me because in Matthew 14, right before this, Jesus learns that John the Baptist is killed. He's beheaded. These guys were family. They were friends. They were doing ministry together. This would have been a hard news to receive that someone very close to you had just had their head chopped off. It was very difficult. So it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place, right? He wanted to go away. He wanted to be alone. Man, he just, he's probably going to grieve this. He's probably going to just talk to the Father. Maybe he's, start, he's thinking about what's coming ahead of him in his life. But he wanted to be away. But, but look at what, how Jesus responded here. It says, hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So he's in the boat going. There's all these crowds here. Oh, Jesus left. Let's go find him. So they're walking around the, the river, Jesus, or the, the, the lake. And Jesus lands. It says he saw the crowd. And it says he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. I mean, I, this shows me that, that Jesus was God, right? If that was me, I would be like, oh, these people. These people, I just want to be by myself. I just, can I just have a moment to myself? Just be away. I just, I just want to, I want to be alone. But you see the heart of God here. He puts aside his thing that was important. And it says he cares for these people. He has compassion on them. He cares for them. They're important. He heals their sick. He spends the day with them. He feeds them that night, the 5,000. He breaks bread for them. Spends the whole day for, for them. And we see the heart of God, and it's, it's the beauty of how Jesus viewed people and how he put himself aside for the sake of those who were strangers to him. 
The word compassion in the definition is uh, the technical definition is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. So basically, it's the feeling of wanting to help someone who's in trouble or who's sick. You're feeling bad for them. You feel sorry for them and you want to, you're moved to help them in that moment. That's sympathy is feeling for someone. But I want to move us a little bit because I think Jesus, he, he, did more, he, he did more than just had a sympathetic response towards people. I think Jesus had an empathetic response for people. So I want to move us here to just not sympathy, but to get you thinking about empathy. Because empathy is not just feeling for someone, it's feeling with someone. It's, feeling with, it's the ability to share in one's feelings. And so the first thing is be present with people. The second thing is to practice empathy with people who are different than you. And to practice empathy, not just feel bad for them, but, but, but learn and seek God to help you feel with them and feel for them because that will change your perspective on how you view those who are different around you. Actually, we're commanded to do this. In Romans 12, verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is a command to be empathetic. Celebrate with those who are celebrating. Be happy for them. Be excited for them. And sometimes this is hard to do, right? Sometimes we, we, uh, uh, we can feel jealous because someone had more success and we kind of hold our blessing back from them. Uh, or, you know, we don't want them to get too high on their high horse and don't want to celebrate too much with them. But the Scripture is telling us, join in with someone's joy. Put yourself aside and join in with their joy. Rejoice with them and weep with those who weep. Join in with someone's sorrow and grief and difficulty and sadness. Come alongside them and feel their pain with them. This can be done, of course, not just for strangers, but for anybody that we put yourself in their shoes. I mean, it's easy to, to hear lots of stories and put lots of generalities out about people in the world. But, you know, have you ever sat down and really put yourself in the shoes of, a, of a, an illegal immigrant? Really listen to their story as a stranger and understand and come into their world. Or someone who has a different sexual preference than you. Have you really sat with them to come into their world, to understand them and, 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 and feel with them? This is a powerful thing. And again, we see that Jesus is our pattern for this. Jesus is our pattern, right? Jesus didn't just feel bad for us when we were on earth and he was in heaven. He felt with us. He felt with us. He is the, the, the ultimate example of empathy because he put on flesh and, and blood, right? He came into our world. He grieved with us. He rejoiced with us. He felt pain. He felt he went through temptation that we went through. He's went, he went through everything we went through. He knows what it's like to be a human. He knows what it's like to walk in our, foot, foot, or in our shoes. And to connect with others, I think, is really important to not just be present, but to begin to practice empathy for those who are different than us, for the strangers around us. And I want to show this quick video here. It highlights uh, empathy, and um, I think it's kind of a fun little video. Let's see if these guys can get it pulled up here. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy. Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. 
empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. kind of fun, fun video. Uh, I really like how they just ended that. What makes something better is connection, right? Empathy, has, there's a power in empathy. When we, when we understand someone else's perspective, when we stay out of judgment, we recognize their emotion, there's a real power in it to connect with someone on a, very, on a heart level, someone that may be very different than you, someone that may be a stranger. You can do this, of course, with your spouse as well. And, you can, and it, can bring a, it can bring power to connect with someone, and it can bring care into the deepest part of their hearts, and it can bring healing even. Uh, a simple story that just had an impact on me was uh, I run a pool cleaning business, and um, Steve Wilson actually cleans pools for me. Or Steve? Yeah. And uh, before he was cleaning pools for me, I was cleaning pools. You know, you're kind of by yourself all day, you clean pools, and... and um, you kind of get in a routine, you're kind of, you're wanting to move through it fast, get done with your day. And, and I was cleaning pools one day, and there was this guy who works on this house, and he, uh, he we were just chatting with it, and he's a kind of younger guy, he's a construction worker guy, and he, said, he was telling me how he, someone had uh, forgot to bring him some concrete that he needed. Hell yeah, I'm hearing him talk about that, talk about that. He said, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to sit around here for a couple hours waiting for these guys to bring concrete, and I'm cleaning my pool, I'm thinking, you know what, I can, I can help this guy. I don't really want to, but uh, I probably could run up to the store. And uh, I thought, all right, be present. Be present. 
I said, hey, man, you, how about I just take you, up to the, take you up to the store and we can, we can go get the concrete? He's like, really? Like, yeah, man, it's not, bro. It's not too far. I can take you up there and bring you back. Man, that would be awesome to really help me. So we went up there, chatted a little bit. On the way back, he wanted to pay me. I said, no, don't, you know, don't, I don't want any money for that. And he said, well, how about I, I, I buy you some beer? And I was like, oh, you know, why don't we just go get a beer sometime? And he's like, he's like okay, okay, that's, that's cool. So um, a couple weeks later, I saw him again. He was working on something, and he was outside. And, and uh, he's like, hey, let me help you get your stuff out of your truck. And he went and got some stuff. And I, I said, hey, man, yeah, we should still grab that beer sometime. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm actually, I, I'm trying to stop drinking. But actually, there was some alcohol he was drinking while I was down there. He's like, I'm trying to quit drinking, man. Oh, really? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. And, and, you know, I had, I had, a, I had a, a moment in my mind where, you know, I could, I could move past this. I could go on to how's the weather or, you know, or something else. But again, I, God stopped me and said, you know, be present. I said, hey, man, so you're, you're an alcoholic. You know it's not good for you. Why, why, don't you stop, why don't you just stop drinking if you know it's not good for you? He says, you know, I've tried, but I can't. It's the way I cope with my problems in my life. And he just opened his heart up to me in that moment. This is a stranger, pretty much. He began to share, and I began to just say, hey, man, what's going on? Why are you, what's the problem? He'd broken up with his girlfriend, and he was really grieved over that. And so I just tried to, like, walk with him in that. Like, hey, man, that must be really hard. You know, just walking with him, showing empathy, caring for him, just caring for this guy's heart, because it's hard, it's a difficult situation. And so we went back and forth and talked for a while and chatted and had a good connection and and um, at the end of it, I felt like, you know, God wanted me to pray for this guy. And it was kind of a weird thing. And I just said, hey, uh, hey, man, this is kind of weird, but do you care if I just pray for you right now? And he said, uh, he said yeah, man, I'll be fine. So I just put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed a little prayer for this, this guy. And I, after I prayed for him, I, I looked up, man, he was crying. And he looked over me and man, he gave me a big hug. He said, man, that meant so much. Man, that really touched my heart. And I said, hey, bro, you know, we, were, we had this beautiful view. And I said, hey, man, just look, look at this, this view. And, you know, God's love is greater than this expanse of the sky. If you just turn to God, he can fill you with his love, and his love will never drop, run out. It will never go dry. And he's like, man, thank you so much. Man, I know I need to turn to God. Man, thank you. And so we just chatted a little bit more. We exchanged numbers, he, and, and we just went on our way. He texted me later that day. Hey, thanks. That meant so much to me. We kind of connected a little bit. He texted me a week later and said, hey, uh, Hey, man, I've, 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 I went to AA, and I've been sober for like three days. Man, praise God. He's like, turn my life to God. Man, that's awesome. We kind of had this communication a month later. I'm still sober, man. It's been a month. I've felt better than I ever felt. Wow, amazing. Praise God. You know, man, he's had some ups and downs throughout that. But I just share that story with you to say God can do something amazing and powerful through you in the moment if you catch it, if you catch it, right? Come alongside someone. Enter into their world and be present with them, as Jesus was. Now, the last point, and it's just a quick one here, is to remain in God. All right, how do we have a heart for the, the stranger, for those who are different than us, for those who are bother, bother us, right, uh, that, that we tend to fall into judgment towards, is remaining in God. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, we don't have that capacity sometimes the, the, to bring the kind of love that God wants to be brought into the world. I know I don't. 
But as you grow in God, as you walk with God, as you walk with Him and remain in Him and pray to Him and seek Him and ask Him to give you the heart, ask Him to change your heart, pray for those around you, your heart can change three sizes in one day. God can do that. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. Right? Apart from we can do that, we feel guilty. Oh, I don't love people. You know what? I, I don't feel guilty that I don't love because I don't love people in my natural inclination. Right? Why well, am I feel guilty about that? This is part of who I am. But I can have hope because I can love three people through the power of God in my life. And I can make a difference in the world because God is in me and Jesus Christ has reconciled us to himself. And he can reconcile you to himself if you haven't been brought, no, brought close to him yet. So remain in him. That's just the third simple thing. He can give you the capacity to love beyond your own predisposition. And he wants to love through you. Uh, So those are three things. Be present, practice empathy, remain in God, and remember all people have great value and that we serve a God who loves them all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for your love for us. We thank you that... Uh, You are uh, amazing, amazing in your uh, love and your compassion uh, towards this world. It's just, it's beyond my comprehension how you can love such a broken and wrecked world, Lord. A broken person like myself, how you can love me so much, how much you have so much grace for our lives. And you're, you're forgiving and compassionate and merciful, God. It is so amazing. It's so amazing, Lord. And God, we pray that you would pour out that vision and that heart on our lives. And I pray for that for everyone in this church to be able to grow in the grace of God to love those who they would not naturally and normally love because of you and you alone. And the glory would be given to you and the honor would be given to you and the fame would be given to you that Jesus Christ touched and changed a heart that was inclined to be hard. And we all need that, Lord. And I pray for that, Lord. Expand the heart of the well. Let it overflow to lots of people. Let it overflow to the stranger and overflow to the world. Overflow to our neighbors. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.